0: Welcome to Strategy Simplified. In this episode, Scott Weishar from Bates White shares a couple of the keys about economic consulting. What is it? Why should you do it? Why has he had such a long and unexpected career in economic consulting? Who is Bates White? And why should you think about applying for them? It's an amazing opportunity for those of you that have always wondered what economic consulting is and or who Bates White is in the universe. Enjoy. I have the honor today to introduce an incredible firm and an amazing person to you. Uh, Scott Weissar is with us from Bates White, and Scott chairs the life sciences practices at Bates White. Um, they provide consulting expertise and expert support in complex litigation and government investigations for pharmaceutical manufacturers and wholesalers, for pharmacies, for healthcare providers, and for other life science industry participants. Uh, And if that's not enough, Scott obtained a bachelor's in economics from Penn State University, um, one of the close places to my heart. I grew up in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, um, prior to starting his career in consulting. So we're gonna go through Scott's background, a little bit about the firm, and just understand some of what the opportunities are at Bates White going forward. So Scott, welcome to Strategy Simplified. We're excited to have you.
1: Thank you. Thank you very much for having me. Um, And I I grew up just down Route 30 in Gettysburg, so we uh, sort of share that connection.
0: I have a sister that went to Gettysburg College for her undergrad. So, yeah, everything is local in Pennsylvania. You always know somebody who knows somebody, right? That is true. Well, really excited to have you on today and for the good folks listening, uh, you know, on the side of the podcast. I'm going to ask you a couple of personal questions at the end, but is there anything about your bio that I either misspoke about or that you want to add on about your background for how you got to this field before we talk about the firm specifically?
1: Yeah, so I think it, it would be helpful for your listeners to know that that I essentially grew up with Bates White, so I came here directly after undergrad. I was convinced I would be here for three or four years and then go back to grad school. Uh, I was exploring um, a number of different options. And for a whole host of reasons that I'm sure we'll, we'll get into more in our discussion here, uh, I'm still here now uh, 20 almost 22 years later. Um, and so I came in as an entry-level consultant uh, and have moved up the ranks to now an equity member of the firm. And so... Uh, I've grown and the firm has grown a lot. And so it's kind of nice to have that perspective on where we've been, you know, where we are and where we're going.
0: Amazing. So obviously they're doing something right if they've encouraged you to stay this whole time. Uh, So. Um, and so it just also, you said that you're based in Gettysburg, Pennsylvania. Is there a Bates White office in Gettysburg? Um, and
1: so- I grew I grew up in Gettysburg. We are oh, okay. uh, based solely in washington, d c Great. um one of our founding members and uh, named partner, Hal White, uh, he had uh, a satellite office at at one point uh, in in San Diego. He was a professor, very well known professor uh, at the University of uh, California, San Diego. so, um, you know we have we have that association to the West Coast, but uh, virtually all of our operations are here in DC.
0: Okay, great. So uh, you know, let's talk a little bit of, about Bates White before we dive into where the offices are and everything else. Even, um, but you you mentioned right, based in DC. Talk about what economics consulting is, and walk us through how you figured out what it was. You you mentioned that you kind of came in at the ground floor. So talk to us just a little bit about what is economics consulting really? Who do you serve? What do you do? What kind of work is involved in your day-to-day?
1: Sure, sure. It's, um, it's a great question. I mean, the word consulting is a very broad one. And it's like my aunts and uncles say, you know, what do you do? And I say economic consulting. And they say, well, which stock should I invest in? And I say, no, 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 that's, you know, that's not it. What it is, most of, almost all of our work is in some uh, adversarial process. So most of the time, that means litigation, Um, you know, one party sues another party or the government is suing a party uh, and we get involved to offer um, our experts economic testimony. It could be on issues like, uh, do we think the economic issues surrounding the case are such that there was some misconduct, let's say an antitrust violation? Uh, In many cases, it's assessing damage. So, uh, you know, assuming that whatever alleged conduct did occur, to what extent did it cause some harm to someone or some injury? Uh, So a lot of my work, for example, is in the life sciences space, uh, and we're often assessing whether uh, in situations where perhaps a company allegedly paid a doctor a kickback, you know, did that alleged kickback cause a doctor to write more prescriptions, let's say, than they otherwise would have, or uh, render more services than they otherwise uh, would have. And so... Um, Those are just some examples of where we would consult in in litigation. Um, Adversarial processes sometimes are arbitrations. They're uh, sometimes investigations. So uh, let's say we have a client who is being investigated by the government. Uh, Again, me in the life sciences space. Um, Maybe we have a pharmaceutical manufacturer client who the government is looking into for a particular issue. And we will help them assess, you know, do their data reflect some pattern, let's say, that the government is perhaps concerned with. Um, and in that context, as well as in litigation, uh, it's, it's not just about, you know, necessarily getting a trial win, let's say, uh, but advising them on what should their litigation strategy be, um, you know, what, what should they be thinking about in terms of, let's say, a settlement approach um, if, if we don't think it's right for them to proceed all the way to, you know, a jury trial or a bench trial. So we do have some instances where companies will hire us to do some some sort of business advising. And I don't quite have a percentage, but I would say 90% of our work is in that adversarial process that I described.
0: Can you just walk me through who hires you? Is it the lawyer or the company? And, and again, we want to explain this in a clear way so we understand who people are working for at kind of, you know, by proxy, right, through your organization. And then also, how long is a standard engagement?
1: Yeah, so all great questions. So um, the answers depend a little bit on our practice, uh, different practice areas. Uh, so we have um, the life sciences project uh, practice, as we discussed, um, but also an antitrust practice uh, where we do litigation work. Um, let's say a monopolization case. A company is is accused of monopolizing a particular market and we will assess whether in fact that's the case um, or maybe there's some um, proposed merger activity that the government is reviewing. Um, and uh and and so let me just pause there. I'll get into the other practice areas, but I want to make sure I answer your question. Uh, ultimately, it is, it is the end client. So it could be the federal government. In the case of the federal government reviewing a merger or maybe a state regulatory agency uh, that is investigating, let's say, uh, an alleged fraudulent activity. It could be um, a, a company, typically Fortune 500 companies. Uh, who are being investigated or find themselves in litigation. In terms of who we work with on a day-to-day basis, that's a little bit different, right? So that gets the other part of your question. And those are, are generally the attorneys that either the government has working in-house or occasionally the government will hire an outside law firm to assist them. And, and then if we're working on behalf of a company, uh, they, of course, will hire attorneys as well. Sometimes it's multiple law firms. And so, typically, it's the law firms that will come to us, assess whether we're the right fit for their client. And then most of our working relationship on a day-to-day is with those outside law firms, Uh, although we do, of course, um, you know, regularly need to make sure that we're updating the end client and advising them as well in concert with, with the attorneys. And because all of this is, or almost all of this is in litigation, uh there are lots of concerns about uh, confidentiality and attorney client privilege uh, and so you know we've got to make sure that those outside attorneys are are kind of in place to give us that privilege to have those conversations if that makes sense. Absolutely. So there were other aspects to your question though.
0: Well, I I think it was really helpful just to you know because sometimes I think people don't know, right? When I when I am advising Uh, students, when they're thinking about different kinds of consulting, I often say it's hard to tell the difference. So ask who hires you, because if a chief technology officer hires you, that's, you're going to have a different kind of consulting than if a director of a department or supply chain or, right, you know, and it kind of gives some illumination to the work that you'll be doing and who hires you. Um, now, you said earlier in the beginning that the Bates White has grown. You, you've you grown up with the firm, but also the firm has grown. Um, and so how have you grown? Have you added practice areas? Are the cases longer and more complex? Are you um, now working with more, you know, different kinds of organizations? Like, talk talk to us just a little bit about growth in the economic consulting sector, because I think it's helpful for people to understand where you are now. Are you recession proof, right? Kind of where are you going? I think it's helpful to understand a little bit of those market dynamics as well.
1: Yeah, so uh, for the most part, we are recession proof, uh, maybe even counter cyclical in some ways uh, in, in that, you know, at times there can be increased efforts to litigate. Uh, you know, during uh, turns in the uh, in the economy in terms of growth. So I when I started in 2001, I was employee number 29, I think um, <laughs> there was essentially one very large um, price fixing case. There was an alleged cartel. And our job was to assess the time period over which there was collusion and then to calculate damages that resulted from um, this alleged collusive agreement. From that came some follow-on suits. And I would say at about the same time, we were we were really starting to expand on um, what is now known as our environmental and product liability practice. and in, in, Internally, we call that EPL for short. And at EPL at the time, we were analyzing uh, asbestos mass torts. So looking at insurance coverage related issues associated with asbestos exposure. Um, I worked on a case uh, once upon a time where we had to estimate how many people were exposed potentially to asbestos containing fibers from insulation that went on commercial boilers. I never thought I'd learned so much about the commercial <laughs> boilers, um, as I did, as I did then. And, and it was, it was kind of fascinating. And so to give you, um, I'll give you sort of examples of growth and, and, and let me be clear that when I talk about growth for us, that means something perhaps different than, than sector wide, uh, We have what we call our organic growth model. We encourage entrepreneurial pursuits. We want our people to kind of dictate our growth. Uh, Our intention is not to go out and and add in lots of folks laterally at higher levels. Certainly, it is not to acquire other companies. Uh, It is to grow as our people grow, as our talent grows, as our expertise grows. And and certainly as our recognition grows uh, accordingly. And so uh, take the asbestos practice that is now the environmental and product liability practice. Uh, That practice, and I am um, dipping my toes into those waters currently, actually, because um, not surprisingly, there are pharmaceutical products for which there is uh, some potential product liability. Um, And so we've we've got sort of an intersection of our of our practice areas, Uh, but there are all sorts of mass torts. Um, You know, chemicals like PFAS, uh, talc, talcum powder uh, is in the news as a product that may be cancer causing Uh, asbestos cases continue, but we've got um, pharmaceutical products like ranitidine, these sorts of things. And so there's a diversification that's just naturally evolved. We basically launched the life sciences practice sometime in the mid 2000s uh, when we happened to work on a pharmaceuticals case. That was very, very large, very sprawling, basically required us to develop expertise in pharmaceuticals uh, in a way that we could then parlay into additional work. Uh, and so, you know, there too, we started with one case and now we have a thriving practice with, you know, maybe 30 active uh, life sciences case uh, cases at, at any one point. And just to cover some of our other practice areas. Uh, our energy practice, we had a particular founding partner who was interested in energy issues, um, and and that has taken off. Uh, same thing with finance. We did not have a finance practice uh, initially, but we essentially had the opportunity to do lots of work um, looking into mortgage-backed securities cases, right, following the late uh, recession. And so that work has now expanded into lots of different types of, of financially related cases. Uh, but again, it's it's looking for those opportunities, developing the relationships with our clients uh, and then growing internally our own experts um, and, and essentially seeing where that that takes us with the, the sort of caution um, to make sure that we're not growing for growth's sake and that we're not growing too fast in a way that we think could you know dilute our culture, which we invest quite heavily in.
0: Well, let's pivot and talk about that a little bit. You've been at the firm for 20 years. You're a a poster child in some ways for this internal growth, Um, but it is, you know, counter-industry, right? The industry says hire a couple of salespeople at senior levels, bring in more work that way, Uh, but, but at the expense often of a culture and the preservation of culture. So, uh, I don't know if culture is the answer, but what has kept you at Bates White for 20 years, 20 plus years? Um, you know, why do you think you're going to continue to stay? What, why have they given you so much headroom? What is the culture like? Kind of just start to address a couple of those that I may poke in on a few of those. Yeah.
1: Head, headroom is an interesting word. One of our uh, guiding principles. And uh, I, I want to emphasize that, yes, we have guiding principles. It sounds like this uh, sort of consulting buzzword. Um, but these are things that we kind of live by. Uh, and whenever there's a, a key decision to be made about a policy or whether to take a new case, uh, whether it's a compensation question with respect to our, our staff, we are always coming back to our guiding principles to inform, right, uh, those decisions, right? What was the firm founded on? And let's make sure we're not losing the principles on, on which the firm was founded. One of those is empower our people. And so when you talk about headroom, that is, you know, we're going to we're going to give you some leash uh, and we want you to run with it. Um, and um, we know that that may be tough. Right. But we know that people are going to learn and grow from that. And so, you know, I assumed when I was very young in my career that I would kind of quickly tap out on my potential. I would need to go get that Ph.D. or MBA. And, and to be clear, we've got lots of people who have done that, Uh who come, say, for three, four, five years and then go do that. And they're very successful uh, in their other pursuits. And, and uh, our consultants go off to, you know, top flight law schools and, and PhD programs and, and MBAs. Um, but for me, it was, wow, like I kept getting uh, a new challenge. And, and I was empowered to figure my way through. Now, of course, we have mentors here who are very involved in that. Um, we have a very formal sponsorship program. Every employee has a sponsor. And, and so there were certainly resources around me, uh, but there were no constraints placed on me. Um, and I could, could, could sort of find my own path. And so in addition to being a partner in life sciences practice and working on those billable projects, um, I'm also playing uh, a role on our firm leadership's executive committee, um, which is, has helped me. Um Now, with a kind of all those years of perspective, chart our future course uh, and make sure that we're doing that in a way that um, is up to date and innovative, but you know still is guided by those principles that I've talked about um, you know our our people um, every engagement survey we do, and we do them sometimes multiple times annually it's the people <laughs> that rises to the top of the list. Um, and, you know, there is something special about the, the camaraderie and collaboration that we have here, right? Everyone is working together um, toward the same objective. And when you come to work every day uh, and that's kind of the spirit, um, that's awesome, right? That, that's awesome. And, uh, and so we really do have that team-oriented spirit. And so when you're able to grow and you're challenged and you love the people you're working with, And yes, oh, by the way, they pay you quite handsomely as well, right? Because their expertise is valued in the market. That's awesome. We'll be right back after this quick message. Stacks has got it going on when it comes to culture and benefits. Folks at the firm report fantastic compensation, promotions based on meritocracy instead of tenure, there's a novel idea, a collegial culture with a small office feel, outstanding professional development opportunities, and much more. If you haven't heard of Stacks yet, the firm is a boutique strategy consultancy that focuses on projects along the private equity investment lifecycle. Projects include commercial due diligence, exit planning, value creation for PE portfolio companies, and much more. If a consulting role with this fast-growing firm interests you, see open roles and get your application in at Stax.com, that's S-T-A-X.com, or click the link in this episode's show notes. If you find yourself lucky enough to join the team at Investor Group Services, you'll immediately discover that IGS is not your typical cookie-cutter strategy consulting firm. At IGS, you will regularly interact with senior-level management and clients, and take ownership of client relationships early on in your tenure. In addition, top performers can increase their earnings through the firm's uncapped performance-based compensation model and be put on the fast track to a management role sound too good to be true you can learn about open roles and apply today by clicking the link in the show notes or visiting igsboston.com
0: can you talk about what makes bates white good as a you know what, what when i'm when i'm the client thinking about hiring an economics consulting firm why do i hire you instead of somebody else
1: yeah, that that's great. Look, I think in our industry, everyone's smart enough, right? When I look at our competitors, I don't necessarily say, "Gee, we're just smarter than our competitors," right? There are lots of smart people out. there. You
0: don't say it. I mean, you might think it,
1: right? But <laughs> sometimes we think that. Sometimes we look at the opposing expert report and we say, "You know, that's kind of not so great." But but when we think about what differentiates us, it's it's a few things. Certainly, we're very responsive, right? Our, this is a fast-paced business. Uh, there are litigation schedules. Clients want answers. Courts want answers. Um, and there are times when it's timing is important, right? And so being responsive is important. We pride ourselves in being responsive. Perhaps more important than that is we do our business in a way where we want to partner strategically with our clients. I, I, I've seen the work of, of some competitors. I'm not going to get specific. But I've seen situations where maybe um, I see them kind of wait for direction from a client. Let's wait for the client to ask a question, and then we'll respond and give the client the answer, right? We're saying, no, let's help anticipate the client's problems, and let's work with them collaboratively on the solution. And, you know, our clients almost always become repeat clients because of that. They know that we're a sort of a trusted ally uh, and we'll, we'll not only kind of – we'll not necessarily tell them what they want, right? But we'll partner on, you know, let's make sure everyone understands the big picture. You know, let's analyze the data. Let's do the research. Let's inform you. But then let's talk about what that means, you know, for your client and for where you are in the investigation or litigation. And to me, that's that's kind of a real – um, really important differentiator. Maybe i just add one other thing that I think is, um, it touches upon what I mentioned. Integrity to us is very important. You can imagine that if you're in the business of offering expert testimony and litigation, right, and a client hires you, uh, and we get these questions from, from uh, folks who interview with us all the time, awesome questions. Uh, they say, well, gee, what if you come across an issue, you analyze it, and you come to some conclusion the client doesn't like. Yeah. There are folks out there who will kind of be very flexible with their opinion. Um, For us, integrity is important. And when you're in it for the long run, clients appreciate that integrity because they know that they're getting a trusted input from you, right? It's not always what they want to hear, but it's what they need to hear to really inform how they're going to litigate, you know, how they're going to settle. Um, And so, I think that's another thing that we look at as, you know, in addition to that strategic partnership and responsive is really uh, differentiating us from, from others in the industry.
0: Now, you mentioned before that you started as a junior employee and then now have an equity stake uh, in the company. Can you just walk us through the life cycle of somebody who comes and stays for, you know, right? some of, some of what our folks are used to is the McKinsey, Bain, and BCG model of every two years, you have a promotion point, you're up or out. Um, and, and, you know, I would just love to know, A, is yours similar or different? How is it similar or different? And I think a lot of people would help to have a little bit of a longer term perspective. I think it's very clear. You have this amazing value proposition, um, especially if somebody wants to come for a couple of years, but what if I might want to be a lifer, right? You know, what, what then, uh, what, what then does my future look like if I come and work for you?
1: So, so we don't constrain it in any way. You know, we, we value diversity in, in sort of the sense that a lot of people think about in terms of diversity and making sure that, that we're recruiting in a way uh, where we are reaching, you know, all different types of people. Uh, but, but once those people are in the door, there's a real diversity in terms of, of interest, you know, uh, interest in terms of uh, whether I want to do something very quantitative or qualitative, the type of case I'm working on, how long I want to be here. Do I want to be a testifying expert? Do I want to be a really good project supervisor? Do I want to contribute to project, uh, I'm sorry, firm leadership? All of that is possible, and, and people pursue different paths. Uh, and, and so in that way, we don't constrain it. There's, there's no policy uh, in, in terms of how quickly someone should be promoted, uh, and that goes both ways. Some people might need more time at a particular level. Some people, it may make sense for them to forge ahead right? Uh, and each person is very different. We're going to work with them individually to see what makes sense. Maybe you'll ask what's typical. So, you know, typical, you'd come in, if you're an undergrad, as an entry-level consultant. Um, after about a year, we have a level called consultant two. After maybe another two years after that, um, or a year or two after that would be senior consultant. Another year or two after that, manager. So that kind of, I think, is consistent with what you were describing. After that, the paths really diverge, I think. Um, some people could be a manager for quite some time, but after that would be principal, you know, five to seven years, and then, you know, another five to seven years, let's say, to partner. And and so, you know, people have pursued that path with and without PhDs. Um, I'm sitting here, as you said, without a PhD and have an equity stake in the company. Many of our equity owners are PhDs. Um, and, and so, you know, really just depends on uh the 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 value add right and the firm being willing to appreciate the diversity of that value add
0: and you mentioned a little bit about you know how you would come in as an undergrad um and i'm guessing from a phd you're starting are you, do you start at the consultant one level as well from the phd and then, and then can, you, can you just talk about, a lot of our listeners are also experienced tires, and one of their challenges is they don't know where to start, right? Where do they apply? How do they figure out where they fit inside um, Bates White? Is that a conversation with you or is there something a little bit more prescribed?
1: So um, first on the PhD question. Uh, yeah. So uh, we do um, go annually to the American Economic Association Conference. There is a process by which uh, newly minted PhDs, if you will, are coming onto the market, and there is a process for recruiting those individuals. There is a separate track. They come in and start as uh, the title is called economist, uh, and then okay. senior economist, managing economist. The timeline's a little bit different, as you might imagine. You know, when you're going through five years of an econ PhD program, heavy math, not a ton of social interaction, very little teamwork. They present a very different skill set than, let's say, someone coming directly in from undergrad. Yeah. Uh, and so we invest very differently uh, in them, right? And, and again, each individual is unique. But generally speaking, we have uh, a set of onboarding programs. We call it Jumpstart, where new economists will come in, join that onboard program. And there's a real emphasis on the, the soft skills, communication skills, teamwork skills, um, understanding what the litigation environment is about, which is very different than academia uh, and how to adapt from academia to the business environment, litigation environment. And so that's that's the PhD path. Um, we are uh, increasingly hiring what, what we refer to as mid-career hires. Um, so um, sometimes that means folks moving laterally within the economic consulting sector, but there are also lots of other people out there you know, we have a woman in our practice area who, who's been awesome that came in from the White House Council of Economic Advisors. She went there directly after undergrad, was looking for something not in the government, a little more rigorous, a little more fast paced, if I can say that. Uh, and, <laughs> and, and fortunately that,
0: that was politely said.
1: Yeah. Without getting into any particular administration, uh, she was interested in the change and and we were fortunate to have, to have come across her. So. I know I am not an HR. I'm a client services person. I know our HR department is hard at work advertising the opportunity for folks to come in at the at the mid career level, and you know those folks can check out our website. Um, many of our bios are on the website, and you can certainly contact HR through the website. But I also occasionally will get folks who, you know, will identify me or others through LinkedIn. Uh, or see a bio that is of a particular interest to someone and uh, and folks reach out, you know, hey, I see you do energy work. I'm interested in that uh, or antitrust work or finance work or pharmaceuticals work. You know, hey, can we connect and chat? Um, and, and so we're all about, you know, having those conversations.
0: Love that. Well, uh, you kind of took the the final segment of questions, you know, and, and headed there anyhow. But um, we talked a lot about, you know, how people can approach you, but how can they stand out? What are you looking for? What, you know, what's a, a, a couple of ideal factors that you would see on a resume or in someone's background um, that would help them really be a top candidate for you?
1: Yeah. So in terms of the application, I, I, I think, So, so certainly, we want people who are very capable analytically. Uh, For the most part, that means uh, capable quantitatively as well. Uh, And so, for some, that means lots of computer programming experience, but it could also mean um, heavy emphasis on math, engineering, or even if it's, you know, an English major or, you know, and of course, economics, perhaps that goes without saying, um, or a psychology major, you know, seeing a cover letter and related experience that shows analytical thinking um, and the capability to do that is, is really important. Even if it's not, even if it's not quantitative. Um, the other thing to me that really sets candidates apart is is kind of simple, but I think many candidates don't do this, and that is to actually spend time on on our website. Read about some of the casework that we're doing and do your best to understand what it is that we do, right? And, and you know, I tell candidates all the time, the interview process is just as much about them learning about us as it is about us learning about them, right? And so, um, you know, that is in your your cover page, you know, you're writing what it is that you think that you're interested in, what it is that you think we do. And why are you the right fit for that? That's really important in that in that cover letter. And then and then when you're in the door, you know, obviously you want to be a clear communicator, but we also want people to exhibit the same things that we value. And so that is be collaborative, right? And talk about your your collaborative pursuits, right? What are some clear examples of how you behave collaboratively? Don't just tell me that you're the president and leader of this, that, and the other thing, and you get A's in all of your classes. You know, you can kind of do that on your own. Tell me when you've really, you know, struggled to work in a team and how that felt and how you overcame that, right? Because that's what we do. Uh, And so we want to see the people have done what it is that we're going to do. That's good.
0: Yeah, that's super helpful. Well, I I want to um, wrap up this because we have just a rapid fire couple of personal questions. But, you know, um, what advice would you give to folks um, outside of everything that we've shared as they're thinking about looking into economics consulting um, and Bates White in particular? You know, where, where should they go? Um, is it the website? Is it somewhere else? What should they be looking for? And then um, are there any other kind of pieces of advice that you would recommend for them?
1: Well, uh, start with Management Consulted, um, <laughs> see what they have to say about being and our competitors, right? Um, that's an obvious answer. Uh, certainly our website, but again, reach out to us, you know, reach out to HR, reach out to our professionals. Um, particularly if you are, uh, several years into your professional career and you're interested in making a switch, um, you know, let's have that conversation, right? Um, you know, we're, we're, we're happy to help in that way and, and be mentors and, uh, and also assess whether this is the right fit. We have something to benefit from that uh, and having those conversations.
0: I love that. And I know that this could change, but right now, um, are people in office, remote, traveling? Can you just talk finally about the lifestyle piece?
1: Sure, a really, really important question, obviously, these days. Um, And and I was just actually reading uh, a Bureau of Labor Statistics report. that put out some percentages, but they've been all it's over so the DC map. so DC of
0: you. <laughs> they, <they've,
1: laughs> yes, it's, it, it, it certainly is. But I, I'll give you what our answer is, um, okay, and I you know, you can set aside the statistics, um, which is that we are in a hybrid environment. Um, we uh, ideally want our people to be here three days a week. Right now, that means Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday. Uh, those are what we call our coordinated days, right? We don't want uh, people to come into the office whenever. We want people to be in together so that the types of activities and meetings that we have in person can be conducted on those days and that we benefit from that. Um, and so um, people are also in, I would say, Wednesday and Friday. But, but uh, many people take the opportunity to work from home, which we've learned that we can do you know, through the pandemic. Um, and then beyond that, there's, there's just lots of flexibility. You know, we get that people have things that come up various times and need some flexibility. And, you know, we endeavor to meet our people where they are. Again, we're all part of the team. Uh, And so, um, you know, um, that's sort of the typical schedule, but that's not to say that, you know, that's kind of set in stone for everyone.
0: That's awesome, love that. Okay, that's super helpful. Well, last thing, uh, rapid fire questions. First one, one person from history that you'd love to get dinner with and why?
1: Um, I don't know if this is a cop-out. I'm not really into, like, fame, um, I guess. It's not a pursuit. I think it would be to go back and have dinner with my grandfather when he was, like, 26. So, Hmm. you know, he parachuted into the Battle of the Bulge in World War II. Um, you know, I've heard stories here and there, um, but uh, only when he was much older. And I'd love to go back and be able to sit down with him, uh, and and hear about that. I mean, just the bravery and um, you know uh, patriotism is is something that is kind of hard to to really comprehend. So I, anyway, I'd love to have that conversation.
0: Love that. Uh, second one. Is, um, what piece of advice would you give to yourself in your twenties if you could? Kind of uh, you know, <laughs> kind of funny that you said that about your grandfather. But but imagine going back and having dinner with yourself in your twenties. What would you tell yourself?
1: Uh, don't be afraid to ask dumb questions. Um, I, I used to be. And um, I realized that a lot of those questions weren't weren't very dumb. Uh, or there mm-hmm. were others around me who, who had the same question. Um, and uh, I was always afraid of that. And, you know, you don't learn unless you ask those questions.
0: Yeah, I love that. Uh, last question, your favorite memory or moment from your time at Bates White?
1: So, wow, there are so many favorite moments, I, I would say. Lots of, like, you know, long days spent in war rooms with a team where you get that expert report filed and uh, and, and there's a lot of celebrating after that. The camaraderie of that generally is awesome. I would point to one in particular, which is um, that we had a, a, an expert testifying in, in Alabama in, in uh, state court, um, and it was a pharmaceutical trial relating um, – to, uh, to certain published prices. And at the end of the day, our argument was about ensuring that, that the people of the state could get access to the care that they needed and the drugs they needed at pharmacies. Um, the jury, as juries often do, uh, ruled against the pharmaceutical manufacturer, uh, but the Alabama State Supreme Court overturned that ruling um, and, and in the process cited our expert and, and our work. And so it was awesome to see not only uh, a win for our opinion, um, but ultimately, I think it was a win for public policy in terms of the way that uh, mm-hmm. some of the economics played out there uh, in terms of how prescription drugs are are made available in the state.
0: I love that. Wow. You're you're the unsung heroes behind the curtain, right? <laughs> this is an amazing. I want
1: to do like a policy job. And I thought I would go to D.C. and do policy. And I never really appreciated how much policy is actually made from this adversarial process of litigation, um, and frankly, sometimes more policy is made that way than, than, you know, up on the hill behind me, so.
0: It's true, I love that. Well, thank you again. Uh, what, a, what an enlightening conversation. I'm sure that people are gonna find it incredibly interesting and make sure your inboxes are ready because I know a lot of folks will probably reach out with interest. So thanks again. L- for-
1: Welcome to hear from them. And yeah, thank you very much for having me on.
0: Okay, awesome. Thanks, Scott. Take care. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Strategy Simplified. If you enjoyed the episode, please like it, share it, and leave us a comment. If you would like to join us on the Strategy Simplified content, you can reach out team at managementconsulted.com, or you can use that same email if you have questions about breaking into consulting. We love answering your emails. We love hearing from you, and we're excited to bring you this podcast multiple times every month. Thanks so much for joining. Please subscribe if you haven't yet and join us for the next episode of Strategy Simplified.